Hello. Welcome Hello. to the first episode of our podcast. Woohoo. We're excited. I'm so excited. So today we want to introduce ourselves and introduce our goals and our mission here. And Irene, I'll kind of let you start and take the lead. Okay. So we are both um, nurses. We've known each other for about 13 years or so. So we are in different spots in our career right now. But yeah, Molly will share a little bit about where she's at. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump into who I am and where I'm at. So I've been in LVN for over 10 years. We met in LVN school way back when. And I quit nursing for a little while. I just got burnt out. And I'll go into that a little bit. But I have come back to it. And I am in an RN BSN program right now. So it's pretty cool that it's a concurrent program. So this time next year, I should have my BSN. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. So I worked in healthcare since I was 18. Just basically right out of high school, I started off at this um, care home with severely mentally disabled, physically disabled people. Um, they had just severe medical issues. And I learned so much through that. Um, yeah. Talk about just like jump right in to a yeah. bunch of really hard stuff. Yeah. I started off doing this. Um, it was it was decent money. I was 18 years old. I didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have much support from people. So yeah. <laughs> I um, started that off and that was kind of how I started. Then I ended up really loving it, did the LVN program and then moved out of the area that I was in and moved to the coast. And I just got really burnt out of nursing at that point. I was just overworking and just just exhausted. I was like, okay, this isn't for me anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So mm. I decided to go back to school for drug and alcohol counseling. I applied to Texas Tech around that time for a program that they had there. And I, it was like a transitional time in my life. It was like my early 20s, mid 20s. And I was ready to do something a little different. I started interning at a church there. They were called Carpenter's Church at the time. Now they're called Open Door. And it's not a typical church. They do a church for their homeless community, but they also have like a day program there. They have community housing. They have drug and alcohol abuse counseling. And this was a good place to start. Before leaving to Texas Tech, I started dating this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy. Some guy. And... Um, we were dating for a little while and I, he, he had said something along the lines of like, I feel like you're trying, you're just running away from something. And um, it got me thinking like, uh, who does he think he is? What, what is, <laughs> how dare you, yeah, sir? You don't know me. <laughs> and, uh, but he was right. I was, I was running away from, okay. Yeah. I was burnt out. I was running away from my problems, not really wanting to face anything. You know, like I wanted to, us to continue dating me, move away in the hopes that, Oh, maybe he'll come to Texas too. But he was, pretty established here. And mm -hmm. he's like, I do not, I have no desire to move to Texas. Like I want to support you and encourage you to do what you think you need to do, but think about what you're running away from here. And also 
think about like, I won't do a long distance relationship. I am okay. Boundaries. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I can't do that. So if you do move there for school, like we won't be together. And I know I was like, what, what about my dreams? (laughs) I had to think about that. And I did, I left to Texas and I was there for the summer. I interned at this place for a while and I learned so much. The community was great. The people, the social workers that I was working with, like all of it was so great. And I was so into it. And my boyfriend and I were talking every day and I was just like falling more and more in love with him. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't think I could live here. And he's like, why don't you do what you're learning there here where you live now in our community and go to school here and do it here? I was like, oh, that's an option. And I didn't even think about that. And so I went to school for drug and alcohol counseling in LA. It's a very good experience because we got to go to like Skid Row and just learn so much. It was in the middle of Inglewood. It was really just such a good learning experience at that point. I started doing psych nursing around that time because drug and alcohol counseling wasn't paying anything. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then I opened a a homeless shelter in our community. We have a large homeless population here. We live right on the beach. So I, me and a couple friends started a homeless shelter and that was really, really hard just yeah no big deal I'm just gonna open a homeless shelter holy cow the church that we opened it up at it it shut down so we had to shut down but we were there for about three years and the we built a really good rapport and I still have a lot of friends that live out in the streets that I um, talk to and help out when I can also helping them out in the psych unit and then on top of that you're doing hospice Yeah, I do that at night and I start school again over the summer. So my plate's going to be full. Uh, That guy and I, we ended up getting married. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have a little two-year-old daughter and he's very supportive of all the things that I'm doing here. I wanted to start this podcast to normalize these conversations about mental health, about what we do as mental health nurses. Yeah what we do as nurses in general, but also in the psych area. Um, yeah. I think there's, it's largely stigmatized to, oh man, what do you do? How scary? Like, aren't yeah. you scared you're going to get hurt? And yeah. that's, I mean, yeah, we're very aware and sure. we know that that's an, that could happen, but overall we are prepared and have learned how to handle these situations and have empathy and respect and maintain dignity for people who are in those situations yes and it's um, amazing when you do approach people with that mindset they're a lot less likely to be violent (laughs) toward you and lash out and you have less to be afraid of I think yeah Um, and also just Personally, within my family, we have a long history of mental health illness and within my immediate family and extended family, a lot of addiction in my family. So just being surrounded and around that constantly, it wasn't a scary thing for me to face that in my day-to-day work life because I, not to say that it is comfortable, but I felt comfortable in it. Yeah, it's a little bit more normal. Yeah. Even though it's probably not healthy. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, 
I've seen this before. I've dealt with this before. Yeah. When you've seen it or been around it to some extent, it's not as shocking or scary. Exactly. Yeah. And you recognize the humanity. I think too, if you have a family member or a loved one that struggles, Mm -hmm. you know that they are so much more than just that part of them. Yes, exactly. And that's what I have noticed within my professional life is I have so much compassion and empathy and grace for people who are out on the streets, who are struggling with addiction, who are struggling in their mental illness, because that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my cousin. Yeah. These are my, my family. Yeah. You know, that's somebody's son, daughter, whatever. I know it's like cliche to say that, but it's true. Yeah. And when you know somebody on the other end of that, I think it's a lot easier to like accept that or acknowledge it or something. Yeah. And just dealing with my own mental health. And one thing is just dealing with shame around that Mm -hmm. within my own family, like growing up in that I, there was a lot of shame around it. But now that I'm much older and can have an understanding of where these things started and where they came from. And that's what we want to share here in this podcast. Yeah. Giving more education about different mental illness, different addiction, different traumas, and um, just normalize that. And talking about it, because we all have somebody, we all know somebody, or we experience it ourselves. I think Probably everybody experiences some sort of anxiety or depression mm-hmm. or post-traumatic stress problems. We're all just one trauma away from yeah. one of these things happening to us or someone that we know. And I think what helped us in learning about these things and in getting us to where we are now in this journey is listening to other people talk about it in podcasts or, you know, documentaries or reading about it in books, because somebody was willing to share their knowledge and their experience. We've had so many aha moments or eye opening moments or like comforting moments to say, Oh, I'm not the only one with an aunt or an uncle in the back room at my grandma's house on Christmas doing weird stuff or like what's wrong with her or what's wrong with him or why does he keep falling asleep at the dinner table during the Lord's prayer? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. This kid in my high school, I remember one time I was talking about something and he's like, girl, you know, we all have that crackhead auntie somewhere. Like, I know that's like stigmatizing and that's, I'm, I'm, probably promoting the stigma by saying that word, but I mean, we all have a story. We all know somebody that struggles and it was funny and it made me laugh and it kind of like, it made me feel less ashamed yes. to have a family member who's like a little taboo, you know, yeah. in the community yeah. that I grew up in or lived in or whatever. Um, and listen, we're psych nurses. So our sense of humor sometimes can yeah. be a little dark. Yes. And hospice nurses. Yeah. It's yeah. like the only way to survive sometimes is to just laugh about it. And you will hear us crack jokes. You will hear us say off color things, especially me. I have quite the colorful vocabulary. That's who I am, but I respect everybody that I've cared for. I respect everyone in my family or any of my friends or any of your friends or family that I've met. Like, yes, don't take our jokes as like that we have some sort of like negative opinion. So I'm going to give it, give the floor to Molly now. Okay. Let's hear about your professional life, a little about your personal life. Well... I too started, well, I started as a CNA because 
somebody told me I had to do that first before I became a nurse, which I don't know if it's still like that or if it's a requirement everywhere. Um, turns out it wasn't a requirement yeah. for me and my path, but I did it. And I'm glad I did. It was a good learning experience. If anything, it was a good way for me to see I cannot do this. This job is not for me. Hmm. Um, I said, well, what's the next step? And in while I was in that CNA program, somebody told me about this LVN program. I had never heard of that before. I don't know what an LVN even is. I wasn't one of those people that like dreamed my whole life of being a nurse. And I just always knew what I wanted to do. And I Same. had this like fantasy about it and whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, I need a job. I need a place to live. I need to be able to support myself. I don't know what else I want to do. I always did pretty well in biology. Okay, I guess I'll try that. And so we did this one year long accelerated program. It was boot camp. It, it was, was nursing boot camp. Rough. It was rough. It, <laughs> but dang, we learned so much yeah. doing that. And I'm so grateful for that experience. It laid such a good foundation Agreed. for me yeah. as a nurse. The first job I had, the first nursing job I had right out of school was a California state prison, mm. 22 years old. -ish. Oh man. Yeah. Hello. What am I doing? I don't, I have no idea what I'm getting into. How could I, but okay, I'll start working at this maximum security prison, knowing nothing about life. With Charles Manson. With, yeah. Cool. Um, cool. No big deal. <laughs> I did that for a few months. And it was really like, I just want to get a job, but I don't have any experience, but and nobody will hire me so I can get experience. And it was that whole struggle. Mm -hmm. So um, I got in and started working there, but I was also applying for other things to see like what else is out there. So I found this nonprofit outpatient program that helped people who were homeless and also struggling with mental health and or addiction. They had case managers who would help teach them life skills, teach them, here's how to take the bus. Here's how to go get a bus pass. Here's, you know, how to budget. Mm -hmm. Here's how to grocery shop appropriately. Mm -hmm. So the case managers were out in the field, in the community, finding these people and helping them learn and complete life skills. And then they would come bring them to me once a week and I worked alongside a psychiatrist. So he would order whatever medications they needed. I would assess their psychiatric issues each time they came in. And then I would make sure they got the meds they needed. I would follow up on symptoms. And then half the time they would lose their meds or they would sell their meds or they would get robbed of their meds because people knew that they would come to this program. And okay, if I find this person every Thursday, I know that's the day they have their pills. So it was really hard to try to stabilize these people who have so many things working against them. Mm -hmm. And I have practically zero experience as a nurse. I was way over my head. This is a lot more than just give these people their pills, which is kind of what I felt like I was being trained to do is like, just give them their meds and here's the assessment sheet and just fill that out. But I was like, wait a minute, like there's so much going on here and what I'm doing is not effective enough. Yeah. And it made me feel 
insecure about my ability to like carry out the job because I just couldn't Mm -hmm. to the way that I saw fit or appropriate. Like I have such high standards for my performance for one, but also for the people that I care for. And I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can. And I think because our school environment was like so intense and our, our teacher really like jammed that into us, like you're responsible for this person. If you have a way to help them, then you're supposed to help them. And I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the team. It was overwhelming. Yeah. And I was crying every day, either before work and after work, both sometimes. It was too much for me. So I went back to work at the prison. <laughs> I'm like crazy that in comparison, I'd rather be doing that. Yeah. Um, but I really did love it. And it was an awesome learning opportunity for me to really dive into what happens when mental health conditions go untreated yes. for some people. A lot of people that are incarcerated have mental health issues that contributed to them being there. And it was just a dream for me to like get in to get to be in this world and see these things and watch the inner workings of the little city that is a prison you know it's like mm-hmm. its own little world in there eventually i got burnout on that along with a whole bunch of other life stuff that happened kind of around the same time so i moved to an inpatient addiction treatment facility for a little while where they were treating co-occurring disorders in detox. So a lot of places, if you hear about a 30, 60, 90 day treatment program, you have to be clean before you can get in there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can't safely get clean without some sort of medical assistance or medically managed detox. You can, it'll be miserable or it'll be dangerous depending on what you're detoxing from. So we offer a medically managed detox. So we keep these patients anywhere from a week to two weeks, sometimes three weeks at a time, give them the meds to treat the symptoms of detox. So nausea, vomiting, sweating, chills, diarrhea, shakes, all the way down to seizures sometimes. I mean, I really enjoyed that, but I still felt like this isn't the last stop for me and I want to keep going. I want to try something different. I think I never really knew what I wanted to do, but knowing where I am, like, eh, this isn't it. This isn't it. So I'll just try something else, try something else, try something else. Yeah. Um, eventually I went back to school. I got my RN. I got my BSN online. I found hospice through you basically because mm-hmm. I was so burnt out and fed up. And I'm like, this girl never seems like she has a bad day at work. She's worked here for five years or yeah. however long and she loves it. Yeah. I never hear her complain about the stuff that I'm complaining about and what I'm finding. I don't know. Like I I cry about everything. I'm so emotional. I think there's a stigma about hospice care. Like in the hospital settings, people are like, your nurses can't cry with the families. I'm like, well, good luck trying to tell me not to, like, I can't stop myself. Right. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this isn't right for me. I gave it a shot and I loved it. I love the autonomy. I love the flexibility of the schedule. I love the one-on-one time with the patients. That's my favorite part. You get to go into someone's home, meet them where they are, where they feel comfortable and just sit and talk with them. Like I'm loving that. Um, 
throughout this whole experience, I've tried to figure out like, what's my passion? What do I really want to do with my life? And I really love psych. I really love mental health. I really love helping myself through my problems with what I've learned, helping other people and being supportive of them, even just talking about it, reading about it. Like I'm so into mental health Mm -hmm. and I still feel like this isn't the stopping point for me. So I decided to apply for a um, psych nurse practitioner program. Totally didn't think I would get in. Boom, I got in. Wow. I don't know how that happened, but I did. And uh, I start that program in April. So you guys are going to be along for the ride while I go through that. And we'll be sharing about our lives and experience and school and work and friendship and relationships and all the things and how all of those things affect our mental health we'll also be interviewing people throughout this process um, people who have their own struggles within mental health people who work in the field different aspects of mental health all together to create this show yeah (laughs) about destigmatizing what that looks like yeah and it was kind of a joke. We started talking about like, what can we call this? What's something we say all the time? And I said, don't you think it's funny how like whenever you're not really listening to someone, but you have to say something, you're just like, oh, that's crazy. Like you can tell that you're not really paying attention or you don't know what else to say. And so we were like, what if we say that's not crazy? Because people talk about stuff and you're worried. Like if I say this out loud, is someone going to think I'm weird? Is someone going to think I'm crazy? Do I think I'm crazy? Is this crazy? And we're here to say that it's normal to have feelings. It's normal to feel uncomfortable, nervous, sad, mad, whatever. We all have it. We all do it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And that it's normal. These emotions are hard to talk about. And we are trying to normalize that and destigmatize the conversations around difficult emotions yeah. and putting words to those emotions. So, through this process, in each episode, we'll be doing highs and lows. And we'll be doing that with our guests too. Basically, Molly, do you want to describe the highs and lows, what that segment is going to be about? One of the things that we really want to do in each episode is share highs and lows. So we'll reflect on what's been going on with us in the past week or so and talk about what's been the hardest part and what's been the best part. And in that process, we're going to try to make a conscious effort to use emotion words um, to help bring language to these feelings. The only way people are going to get to talking about these things is if they have the right words. And sometimes you just don't even know, like, what is this feeling? I don't know what that is. I don't know what to call it. I feel good. Well, what kind of good? Tell me a little bit more about that. So um, we're going to try to bring our full true selves to the conversation and also allow each other to hold us or hold each other accountable. So I might share how I feel and I'm going to give Irene permission to check me if I don't, if I don't use the right words, or if I'm not using enough words, I'm going to give her permission to say, okay, you said good, but tell me a little bit more. How is it good? Why is it good? What's another word for good? So that we can recognize the places where we could use a little bit of growth and so that we can practice getting feedback and giving feedback. Um, So 
let's just go ahead and get started and show a little example. So for me, I, I'll start with the worst and kind of end it on a good note. I think that's a little bit better approach. So the hardest part of the past week for me is, has been that I'm in this stage of major transition in my life. And I'm the type of person who wants to predict and control and know the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and be ready for everything. And it's impossible for me to see into the future. It's impossible for me to control what's about to happen in my life. And that makes me feel so anxious and stressed. And so I would say those are the main feelings on my low side for the past week. And for the high side, gratitude and hopefulness for the future. And I want to compare these two things. So I said fear and anxiety, and I don't know what's happening. But I also said I'm excited and I'm hopeful. And I think it's important to showcase that you can feel two different things about the same thing at the same time. Yeah. It's not all good. It's not all bad. Or just because I had a bad day doesn't mean I don't also have good days. I can find something positive in the midst of something negative and vice versa. I like to talk about both the highs and lows because I think it's really trendy in like the little self-help section of the library, this whole idea of like toxic positivity. They tell you basically pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, think happy thoughts, and everything will be okay. And you'll have your dream life. And if you just Manifest your yeah. destiny, yeah. you know, and it make remind- your vision board yeah. and do all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think there's value in doing all those things. And I do all those things. I make vision boards. I write my journal. I manifest things that I want to happen in my life, but just make an effort to also recognize the hard things. Because I feel like if you just stifle, 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 pretend it's not there or deny that it's there then you just create this pressure system in your body that will eventually explode. Things aren't going to go away if you just ignore them or don't talk about them. So I like to just recognize that the duality of emotions and normalize that it's, it's good and it's hard at the same time. And that's normal. And that whole thing about like, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps my thing of my dad telling me this story one time and he's like think about that think about what would happen if you tried to pull yourself up if you're sitting down and you have your hands on your bootstraps and you try to pull yourself up you'd fall on your face yeah it doesn't work yeah so let's just like get that out of there I don't even want to hear that anymore if it were that easy and if we could just fix ourselves don't you think we would have all done that by now yeah right so we're going to share these feelings I'm going to give Irene an opportunity to share hers too. And, you know, sometimes it might just be, I had a bad week and that's it. And I don't have anything else to say about it. And then sometimes we might, you know, get a little bit deeper and talk about it a little more. Um, Just kind of 
see how we feel and yeah and also just being able to display active listening yes yeah I'm glad you said that we talked about how hard it is for us to share these feelings it takes such vulnerability to be so open and honest but it also takes a considerable amount of vulnerability to be a good listener and to just let somebody have the floor have their moment yeah. And, and to sit in it without, for me, like my natural reaction is how do I fix this? How yes. can I help? How do I make this better? And it takes some vulnerability to sit there and sit in the uncomfortable feelings and allowing it to, to happen and letting the, the other person process it. Yeah. Yeah. And to that, I also suggest when, when you're practicing this to ask the person, what do you need? How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Not how can I help you or how can I take this away or fix your problem, but how can I help you process this? Or how can I be a good listener or a good receiver of your feelings? Do or you, how would you feel most supported yes. is a big one. Do you yeah. do you just need to vent? Do you just need to cry? Do you need a hug? Do you not want to talk about it at all? Do you want some advice? Do you want the phone number for my therapist? Like, yeah. what do you need? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think people generally have the best of intentions and they really do want to help. But say I spill my guts to someone and they tell me something and I'm like, ugh, that yeah. was not helpful. Yeah. Now I feel worse. Yeah. Well, they didn't know that because I didn't tell them what I needed. They can't read my mind and they're just people. People do their best most of the time, I think. So I think it's good to practice asking for what you need, asking your friends what they need, and trying really hard to be that for them, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. I think a good example of that is when I had a miscarriage and people kept saying something along the lines of um, God has a plan. I know that they were coming from a place of like of goodness, Yes, but it felt so wrong. Like, um, okay, but I'm suffering right now. And this hurts. And hearing that is not helping. So and I did have a lot of friends who were able to sit in that with me and like, allow me to vent and cry and do all go through the emotions. And that's what helped. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. My low this week would be um, frustration. And I have a lot of frustration building up. I'm not exactly sure where it is coming from. I'm still working on that. I'm trying to figure out where it is. Usually it comes from a place of not feeling appreciated or it comes from a place of shame. And Mm. so I'm trying to figure that part out. I don't have it figured out yet. And that's okay. Like I'm living with it and I'm um, catching myself and I'm like making little notes like, oh, this is where I'm feeling frustrated. What happened right now? And then digging deeper into that. Yeah. So my go-to is always like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Until I explode. And I'm trying not to do that. So it's, it's like a discovery. I'm trying to um, investigate myself. Yeah. So I don't have it figured out. Um, but that is a low part of my week this week. Um, my high is having a play date with Layla and like having so much fun with her. Oh, yeah. Those little kids. Layla is Irene's two year old daughter, and she's the sweetest, cutest, funniest little kid. 
first we went to the beach and then yesterday we were just outside playing all day and it was just me and her and it was so fun. Okay, so here's an opportunity to practice what I was talking about. So Irene shares that she had a really fun day and that, that was the high of her week. So tell me some feeling words. Oh yeah, that's good. That. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's good active listening. See? <laughs> <laughs> she was really listening, guys. <laughs> like Layla, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in that moment is just total contentment, total happiness and joy. So yeah, well, yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so we'll end things off with some homework for you guys. We want you guys to practice being open and honest with your own feelings with somebody safe. Yes, and stress the safe word there. Um, <laughs> I definitely don't recommend you just run around sharing all your deepest, darkest secrets with anybody who will listen for two reasons. For one, it's not healthy to just spill your guts um, without first processing and there's a difference between being vulnerable and sharing and oversharing in an unhealthy way, which we'll get more into in later episodes. Um, for two, not everybody is equipped or has done the right kind of work to be able to listen in a healthy way. And you might share something really hard and end up leaving feeling worse than you did when you started because yeah. that can be sketchy yeah and we, we've done that <laughs> we've and done that. it's it's trial and error find finding that safe person so yeah you yeah. know practice with one person and if you feel better maybe stick with that person and if you're like oh that didn't feel good then you know maybe try it with somebody else but also recognize like this is going to feel weird it's going to be hard especially if you're not used to doing this it's not hard because you're doing it wrong it's hard because it's just hard it's just hard <laughs> yeah and it's going to take some getting used to sharing and listening. And unfortunately, it's not that it gets any easier. You just um, are able to approach it in a different way, yeah. maybe, or you just get stronger. You yeah. get better at communicating. You yeah. get better at listening. You get better at giving and receiving feedback. So exactly. go ahead and give it a try and let us know. You can find us on Instagram at That's Not Crazy Podcast. Send us a little message if you practice this and let us know how it went. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.